Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and lived the lives they deserve. Because of that, founders live lives of abundance, freedom, and creativity. That's what I'm all about. Hello, my name is Aziz, and from being a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa, to failing multiple startups yet learning a whole lot, to barely escaping alive the war in Ukraine, even living as an illegal immigrant, I've lost everything twice, and now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day. Sharing the wisdom of luminaries I've interviewed on this podcast from Google executives to Amazon, Microsoft, Forbes Technology Council, Harvard, Financial Times, and even a priest from the Vatican Church, everyone is welcome here. So let's begin. My guest today is Micah Johnson. Micah is a visual developer and thinker. He spends a lot of time thinking about the impact of no-code on society, Web3 implementations, and digital power dynamics. Micah, how are you today? I'm good, Aziz. How are you? I'm feeling honored, privileged, and lucky to have you here today. And just to give people context, what are your thoughts about no code today, about Web3 and the digital power dynamics going on so that we can explore these topics further? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I'll start with no code. My thoughts on no code are it's actually more of like a social revolution, uh, more so than a technological revolution, because Technology and like software development was heavily centralized at times, but we don't think about it like that. Um, we just thought like it was just very smart people building, you know, big products, but it was actually just very centralized. Um, you have to be like a certain background or you tended to have a certain background, or a certain went to a certain school to be able to build software at technology companies. But now with the rise of no code, um, it makes it easier for creative people and people with ideas who are ambitious to just go out and build their ideas as long as they have the tenacity and grit, right? So I think that's one of the deeper things about no code that we don't quite understand or we don't quite talk about yet since it's so early. But I wonder like in five to 10 years, what will be the overall like economic impact of no code as well. And then for the second thing, Web3, uh, I just think about how can we better implement um, decentralized systems and protocols into uh, our day-to-day lives and remove the friction and make it actually useful um, for people because there's a lot of like FUD and a lot of like projects that are fun projects or they're things that, uh, you know, they create a lot of hype, but the actual vision of Web3 is to create a decentralized world and decentralized systems and decentralized banking, finance, whatever, where people can own their, you know, so to say, digital assets and 
I just think about how can we do that and make that easier for people as well. And then uh, we can get into digital power dynamics later. Maybe that will come up in uh, the conversation, but yeah. Thank you. And you seem to have a very optimistic, like democratic view, power to the people uh, perspective on the future of technology. At the same time, there are either naysayers who always see the future as something more negative and have nostalgia for the past, or those who speak about AI, that it will take over everything like Terminator or The Matrix, and humans will be basically batteries or uh, plugged to the metaverse and just um, not adding or creating much value. So what makes you feel and think and be excited about the future as an empowering possibility rather than as a dystopia? Um, I would say the biggest thing about that is probably no code. But I mean, there's some stipulations around no code that might not make that possible. So for example, like vendor lock-in, you may not be able to own actually own your application and it might have to run on a, like a, a centralized server. But just the ability for people of all aspects of life to go out and build their product as long as, as I said earlier, as long as they're like tenacious and as long as they have the grit to, you know, learn, make mistakes and continue to build, that actually makes me the most optimistic about an open society, more so than even Web3, even though Web3 markets itself as, you know, hey, we're going to build this decentralized future. It'll probably take us longer to get there with Web3 than with no code. Um, but I just see a future with no code where a lot of people are empowered to build their own solutions, their own products, and we're not having to wait on Silicon Valley companies or types of people who may not identify with our problems, um, where we can just go out and build it and solve it ourselves. Thank you. And that brings a very important discussion, which is, a lot of makers start passion projects and it's not really solving any problem that people are willing to pay for. So since you spoke about solving our problems ourselves, do you mean as in personal use, using no code to add more productivity to oneself? Or if not, how would you, is your perspective or what do you see as the right way for people to validate ideas, to find real problems that will bring profitable ROIs? Yeah, yeah, so this is an interesting question. So I actually approached this like question from a different perspective because I am not like traditional like tech background, like I work with tech companies to build apps like whatever with bubble and stuff, but I'm not traditional tech. Like I've lived in a lot of cities in the South. So I went to college in um, Alabama and then living in the South right now. And the number one problem that a lot of these people had was that there'd be a lot of creative people. There'd be a lot of money flowing around, but there wasn't a lot of developers. So whenever I, I'm thinking about like solving our problems ourselves, I guess that's more so what I mean. Um, but as far as like validating ideas, it's just how many, just like, I think like the best way to validate an idea is basically just going out and seeing, can you get like 10 people like to give you like good feedback on the idea? So can you like get 10 people to sit down and talk about like the idea and like 
if they've had this problem before, like just in like the traditional way, just sitting down and talking to people as well. But I mean, there's other ways to teach their own. Thank you. And let's play the devil's advocate a little bit because I spoke before to someone who is the founder of a no-code platform that was in the beginning for developers actually to do more visual development so they save time. And his argument was that you cannot just make any person a no-code developer. People need to understand the basics of computer science and have very good software architecture instincts in order to do it. And you cannot just bring a person off the street and make them a visual developer. So that is, in many ways, a counter argument to the uh, argument that you're presenting that a lot of uh, people will have this new power and it will be democratized and open for everyone. What is your counter argument? Do you believe any person in this world can perfect, learn and be good at no code and visual development? Or will it still be restricted by some foundational understandings, learnings, and knowledge that is necessary for someone to do it. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually think there's levels to how much people can like access with no code or how good they can get at no code. But my counter argument to that would be people are learning to build software by using software, basically. So in ways that I've introduced people to no code, the quickest way for me to get them to understand it was to explain it like this, let's say you log on to Instagram and then you click a button, what should happen? They're like, oh, I should go to this page, I should do this, do that. Um, people using applications in itself is a way for people to basically learn how to understand and build software. Of course, they can get more complex as if they wanna do like very complex things where yes, you do need to understand computing, you do need to understand data structure, do you need to understand like how to make decisions um, within your application but if we're just talking about like people being able to like do very simple applications i think that will become pretty much open to everyone because most of everybody in the world or not everybody in the world but something like a billion of the people in the world are using some type of software application and whenever they see a button and they click a button they expect that button to do something and at that most basic level that's an understanding of programming Thank you. So, so yeah, that was my card argument. Thank you. So in many ways, it's people are already or have a, already a lifetime of learning how to no code by the fact that they're using apps and software and have been using it for a long, long time. I like where you're going with that. And let me speak. You said later on we can touch on the uh, um, power dynamics that are the digital power dynamics that are at play nowadays. Can you share a bit more about that, your perspective? And why is it important for people to either be aware of or uh, create the future of the power dynamics that will be digitally present? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because, so I wrote an essay like last year around this time when I was in on deck. Um, it was called New Forms of Mastery. So basically it was just like, I went in more in depth on like building in public and how that's a new form of mastery and you have more tools and you have more freedom um, to become, you know, basically just a master, whatever thing you want to do. 
And then there was a second essay that's largely unfinished because there were some things that were unclear to me around digital power dynamics. But fundamentally, it's just like, if you can basically like create, like software is like the most, it's like the highest leverage thing in the world, right? So you see like Zuckerberg or at Facebook, like he has so much leverage and he has so much power um, to do things just because his company is built on software. So he basically like runs a nation. So I started, I began thinking about like, hey, somebody with like a strong like social media following has more, tends to have like more power than like the mayor in the city. So like, let's just start with like a thought experiment. Like, let's say like you're in a town, you have a mayor and then you have like a an influencer with like a hundred thousand followers. And the mayor says, hey, we're gonna meet here at this place. And then the influencer says, hey, we're gonna meet here at this place. I would like ask this question to you. Who do you think like would would garner more people to come to that place? Of course, the influencer, I'm sure of it. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we don't really understand like what like how powerful social media is and how power like digital identity is quite yet. And government definitely doesn't understand it. So I'm trying to like think about like, almost like in the way that like Robert Greene writes like the 48 laws of power, like what are like the, like what would be like the 48 laws of power for the digital age basically. But it's, as you can hear, it's like largely unclear right now. Thank you. But speak a bit more about power, because as they say, power is, uh, for many people, a dirty word. And uh, they say that the unwritten rule of power or the one missing from that book, The 48 Laws of Power that you mentioned, and I'm not speaking about the 50th law with 50 cent or anything like Mm -hmm. that, but that people who have power try to either make you think that power doesn't exist or that power is dirty so that they keep it more for themselves. So to people who are listening, how do you define power? Is it the ability to influence people like you spoke about the mayor and the influencer? Is it something else? And why is it important to have more power? Is it even important or not? What is your thought on this? Yeah, I would say I would define it, as you said, like the ability to influence for now, like that's, that's what makes the most sense to me. I mean, that can obviously change. Um, I would say it's only important depending on what you want to do. So if you want to build like a really big company, obviously power is very important. And power is not like a dirty word. It's just the more influence you have, the more power you have, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just you can compel people to do things. Um, and you can build, like, you can build power, you can build influence through, like, ethical ways. You can do it through, like, providing a lot of people value, right? Or you can do it in unethical ways as well. But I would say it is important because you need to be able to influence people at some some level, whether that's marketing um, whether that's through no code, um, et cetera, because eventually you'll need those people to go 
Like, for example, if you're building a product, you'll need those people, you need to compel those people to use those pro use your product as well. So I hope that makes sense. Yes. And since people, it's something very important and you mentioned, you know, social media and all that stuff, which could be something that some founders might not relate to or with. Well, when it comes to networking, how do you build power? How do you make friends? And how do you influence people or become someone who's well-connected, has good relationships? What is your perspective on how humans together build bonds and connect? Yeah. So I would just say, like, simple, like, just be a good person and just be a good friend and um, try to provide value for, to people. Um, power goes wrong, I think, whenever you try to seek power, like, out, like, just, like, woo, like, you start thinking like an evil king, like, ooh, I want a lot of power. I want this. I want that. That's where I say power goes wrong. But actually, like, if you're a good person, you're providing a lot of value and you, like, genuinely want to help people, you will build a lot of influence. And with that, you'll build a lot of power. Um, you may not necessarily want the power, but just because you provide a lot of value to people and people trust you, you'll have influence and um, you have more power than you ever think you would. Thank you. And let's bring this on a more personal level. How did you discover no code and visual development? What motivated you to become someone who is an expert on it, who's working with it, within it, as well as how was your journey, the ups and the downs? Yeah, so my story is super interesting. So two years ago, I was in college, went to the University of North Alabama. And I was building, we're trying to build like a bunch of apps, but there was like no, like we would build an idea, but we would like design it. Like that's actually like how I like started thinking about tech. So like full circle, like I started like a clothing line when I was like in high school, it was like designing clothes, got bored designing clothes because I thought it was two dimensional. Started learning UI, UX design, started like doing screens on Adobe XD and stuff. But then I would like have these ideas, I would design a screen and then I would come to this place like I'd either have to like build it myself, find a way to hack hack together myself or like convince somebody to do it. And then it came in 2020, like the spring of 2020, right before COVID, uh, we were building something like I convinced like some people to join the team, like other students to join the team. But it was taking us so long to get to like to get an MVP out like the whole team just ran out of energy because we were learning to code. And then there was one other developer on the team. We were learning to code and he was doing a lot of the dev, but it was just still taking so long to get, get stuff out there that we just ran out of energy. Then me and my friend, uh, one of my other friends on the team, we ended up finding bubble and we just like hacked together like a, uh, an MVP in like a week or two. And, from there, like I just started building a bunch of stuff in Bubble. I spent the whole summer of 2020 like on no code, like building things to like 4 a.m. Uh, I built like a COVID-19 screening and management software for small businesses that summer. Um, I built some other client work, and then fall of 2020, I was like spending. I was like on Twitter a lot, so I like saw this thing called On Deck No Code. I was like, Yo, this is interesting. So I like applied, I got in, and then from there, like things just went up. Uh, on deck was like a 
tremendous like game changer for me. I was able to build a network of, of people and connect with a lot of people in the no-code industry. And then from there, I did some agency work, actually recently graduated in December, and then I'm working on some projects right now, and then also doing bubble development full time. So that's that's the gist of my story. So, Thank you. And since you're thinking about the future, and you're speaking about the social impact of Web3, of visual development and all that, technologically, where do you see the next phase of no-code happening? What new trends and new technologies do you feel will make it easier to use, faster, uh, more mainstream, or just the next level? Um, I don't know if I see it. I mean, I think tools like Bubble are good because if you like just go heads down for two months, you'll become really, you'll become like proficient at it. But I would say like one thing I would like to see more in no code is the ability to develop apps locally on your own server, or your own architecture, just because with the rise of Web3, um, if you want to build like a fully like decentralized application, you don't actually want your application to be running on like a server like AWS or or Firebase or, or whatever. Um, you actually want to control your own architecture, if that makes sense. So that's what I would like to see more in no code is the ability to develop apps locally on your own, on your own computer in the same way that if you load a Visual Studio code and you can do npm install, npm start, and um, run your own local host. I would like to see more no-code tools that build towards that way. Thank you so much, Micah. This was really, really interesting. And if people want to learn more about you, to discover your work or to communicate with you, which links are the best to do that? And I'll make sure to write your Twitter in the description as well. Just, yeah, follow me on Twitter at Micah King Josiah. I think my DMs are open, so just DM me. Uh, Thank not, you so yeah. much. That's wonderful. And I wish you a great day. You too. You too. Mm -hmm.